Welcome to the audio ministry of Grove Park Baptist Church in Burlington, North Carolina. We pray you will be blessed by today's message. It is part of the human condition to have to deal with problems. Okay? If we breathe, we have problems. Would you agree? How many of you today will admit to having had a problem at some point in your life? Okay, I see almost everybody's hand up. We have problems. We have things that we have to deal with that we would prefer not to deal with, but we don't get a vote. Sometimes our problems are not earth-shattering. For instance, I think about the Geico commercial where the gecko is standing beside this big, massive vehicle, and he's a small, he's a small little lizard. Anyway, he's standing beside this big, massive vehicle with a flat tire, and he says, I'll step back from the microphone, although I'm still wearing this one, somebody help me, I have a flat tire. That's a small problem. I had that problem myself when we, when we left from our retirement banquet a couple of weeks ago. Drove out of the parking lot at Best Western and pulled into the turn lane on Huffman Mill Road. I'm still trying to figure out how once I got in the turn lane on Huffman Mill Road, a piece of metal about this big went in my back tire. And by the time I got to the Huffman Mill Road bridge, the tire was completely flat. That fast. <laughs> Ruined the tire. That's not a big deal. That's a problem. I have pulled over. I changed the tire. Thankfully, this is one of those good things about living in the South. By the time I had changed that tire, I'd had two different people stop to ask if they could help, which I thought was just, you know, I, I love the South for that reason, if nothing else. People still are willing to help each other. But that, that was just, that was an inconvenience. It was an annoyance. It wasn't a massive problem. I, we put on the, the spare tire. We drove home, ordered a new tire. Life is good. Not really a big deal. There are other problems that are much more intense. I was reading this week about a village in Afghanistan where the earthquake hit this week. And one of the, one of the men that they interviewed said, we have nothing said, I have nothing. My home is gone. He lost 17 family members in the earthquake. He said, I have no one. I have nothing. How will I make it? I hope your problems today are all the tiny little inconsequential annoyances and not the big massive things. But we realize if we stay on this planet long enough, we have to deal with some big massive problems. My question for this morning isn't really, why do we have problems? People write books about that, and I've preached a bunch of sermons about that myself over the years. My purpose today is really to look at how do we deal with the problems. Knowing that problems will come, knowing that we will all have them, how do we deal with them? What do we do? And I think a perfect example of looking at this is in the book of 1 Samuel, chapter 1. It is the, the story of the birth of Samuel. 
Uh, we're going to go through and read uh, the passage, starting with chapter 1, verse 1. I'll read the first part of it first, starting with verse 1. There was a certain man from Ramathaim, a Zophite from the hill country of Ephraim, whose name was Elkanah, the son of Jeroham, the son of Elihu, the son of Tohu, the son of Zuf, an Ephraimite. And before you, not, my Hebrew is not that good. Having Bible on tape helps. I was able to listen to how they pronounce the, voice, how they pronounce the names. Anyway, he had two wives. One was called Hannah, the other Penina. Penina had children, but Hannah had none. Year after year, the man went up from his town to worship and sacrifice to the Lord Almighty at Shiloh, where Hophni and Phinehas, the two sons of Eli, were priests of the Lord. Whenever the day for El came for Elkanah to sacrifice, he would give portions of the meat to his wife Penina and to all her sons and daughters. But to Hannah he gave a double portion because he loved her and the Lord had closed her womb. And because the Lord had closed her womb, her rival kept provoking her in order to irritate her. This went on year after year. Whenever Hannah went up to the house of the Lord, her rival provoked her till she wept and would not eat. Elkanah, her husband, would say to her, Hannah, why are you weeping? Why don't you eat? Why are you downhearted? Don't I mean more to you than ten sons? We'll stop there and come back to it, to the rest of the passage in a few minutes. Let's look to see what Hannah's problem was here. Hannah's problem, simply put, she had no children. She had no children. Now this hurts in a very deep place. You know, when your entire society is built on children, when indeed the only way you survive as you, as you grow older is to have children who will take care of you. If you don't have children, there's no one to take care of you. But this idea of, of children carrying on the name, this is, this is a it's a problem, and it's a biological problem, it's a spiritual problem, it's a real problem. I know from my own experiences with infertility how much it hurts when you want to have a child and you can't. It's devastating. And not only is this hurt, does this lack of children hurt in a very deep place, one thing, if you look at, particularly at the Old Testament and Scripture, not having children is a sign of God's displeasure in much of the Old Testament. The Lord punished by closing a womb. This person sinned and God closed the womb in the house. So, not only was this a very real pain deep inside, but it could also be seen as a sign of God's displeasure that Hannah had done something wrong to keep her from having children, especially when Penina kept having them and she didn't have any. What had she done to displease God? Now, of course, as we look at the bulk of the Scripture, we know that it's not always that simple. In fact, if you look at the stories of the Old Testament, many of the leaders of the Old Testament had this same running theme of not being able to have children. Think about Abraham and Sarah. Think about, think about Isaac you know, and Rebekah. Think about all these people that in, throughout, throughout the Old Testament who had issues with having children, but still 
there were many voices in Scripture and many voices around that would have been living around Hannah who would have said, there's something, God, there's something you did. God is not happy with you. And so the Lord closed your womb. You need to figure out your problem. So Hannah had no children, so she had a very real pain inside of her that was a physical pain, that was a biological need, and it was a spiritual pain as well. What have I done to damage my relationship with God so that He will not give me children? If that was enough, it would be bad enough. But going on from there, we see Hannah had another layer to this problem. Hannah had a rival who tormented her. Uh, the English Standard Version says that Penina provoked her grievously to irritate her. So Penina kept on, on and on, always reminding Hannah, I have children, you don't. God has blessed me, God has punished you. I'm better than you, we might even come along to say. She enjoyed, Panina enjoyed provoking Hannah. She enjoyed tormenting Hannah. And so all the time, Hannah had to listen to this. Hannah never got a chance to get away from the rival. Hannah never got a chance to get away from the reminder of her problem. She was provoked. And it doesn't just say that she provoked her, she provoked her grievously. Think about the intensity of that feeling. So Hannah lived in a stage of perpetual grief because of her own issue and because Penina kept reminding her of it over and over and over again and doing it intentionally in order to irritate her. That's a bad way to live. I am thankful that I don't live with somebody who gets great pleasure out of irritating me all the time. Um, some people live that way. <laughs> In fact, I'm seeing some of you nudge each other that, that you may live that way. Um, it's a hard life when you live with someone who continually loves to irritate you. And then every year as they would go to the tabernacle to worship, every year it was just another reminder of her failures. It was just another reminder of her inability. It was just another reminder of her pain. So every time Hannah would go up to the house of the Lord, instead of being able to, to worship the Lord with joy, she would be provoked till she wept and could not eat. This was a problem for Hannah. It wasn't just, and it wasn't even enough that she, that she didn't have children. It wasn't even enough that she had a revival who tormented her. She had a husband who didn't understand her and didn't understand what was going on. Elkanah was was a good-hearted man. It says in verse 5, he was aware of the issue. He was aware of her pain. He would give Hannah a double portion of the meat from the sacrifice because he loved her. He would give her a double portion. 
he would, in, he would show himself as, as someone who loved her. Verse 8, Hannah, why are you weeping? Why don't you eat? Why are you downhearted? Don't I mean more to you than ten sons? Hannah meant well, but like most men, Elkanah was clueless. Okay? Elkanah did not understand what was going on. Women, can I get an amen? Sometimes men just don't understand. I see smiles. I don't hear any amens, but I see smiles on that. That sometimes men are clueless about what's going on. And that's basically where Elkanah was here. He, he meant well, he had a good heart, but he just didn't understand her, the depth of her pain. And so Hannah was deeply distressed. She had a problem. I think we can relate to Hannah, at least at some point in our lives, all of us get to this point of being deeply distressed. All of us get to the point, at some point in our lives, where we hurt in a very deep place, and we feel pain, and we wonder, God, did I do something to cause this? God, are you there? We understand how Hannah feels. So we understand Hannah's problem. Let's, let's move now into the, into the second thought. Not just Hannah's problem, but what did Hannah do about it? What was Hannah's strategy? Let's pick up with, with verse 9 and continue through the next part of the passage. Once when they'd finished eating and drinking in Shiloh, Hannah stood up. Now Eli the priest was standing on a chair, or sitting on a chair by the doorpost of the Lord's temple. In bitterness of soul, Hannah wept much and prayed to the Lord. And she made a vow saying, O Lord Almighty, if you will only look upon your servant's misery and remember me and forget not your servant, but give her a son, then I will give him to the Lord for all the days of his life and no razor will ever be used on his head. As she kept on praying to the Lord, Eli observed her mouth. Hannah was praying in her heart, but her lips, and her lips were moving, but her voice was not heard. Eli thought she was drunk and said, How long will you keep on getting drunk? Get rid of your wine. Not so, my Lord, Hannah replied. I am a woman who is deeply troubled. I have not been drinking wine or beer. I was pouring out my soul to the Lord. Do not take your servant for a wicked woman. I have been praying here out of my great anguish and grief. Eli said, answered, go in peace, and may the God of Israel grant you what you have asked of him. She said, may, my, may your servant find favor in your eyes. Then she went her way and ate something, and her face was no longer downcast. I love what Hannah did here. Her strategy with this problem, recognizing her pain, recognizing this situation and that it was at the point where she could not continue with this way. What did she do? First of all, she went to Shiloh. She went to Shiloh. Now she could have turned away. She could have refused to go. Although it was required every year that people go to, to offer sacrifices, Hannah could have stayed home. She could have just said, I am not going. I am not going to put myself through this again. I know what's going to happen. I know that, that if I go there, that, that 
Elkanah's still not going to understand why I'm hurt so bad. Penina's still going to bug me and irritate me and torment me. I'm just staying home. She could have stayed home. And particularly if the thought was that the Lord had closed her womb, if God was doing this to punish her, then it would have been so easy to turn away. It would have been so easy for Hannah to say, God, I'm out of here. I've asked you to help. You haven't helped me. Indeed, I don't think you care. I'm gone. I'm staying home. That would have been easy to do. It would have been human to do. To just say, God, I'm mad at you for this. I'm not going to go to your house. I'm not going to sacrifice to you. I'm not going to put myself through that again. We see so many people who do that. God doesn't do what they want. Life doesn't work the way they want. And so they figure God's not really there. And they turn away. That's not what Hannah did, however. Hannah went to Shiloh. She went to worship. She went to pray. In the choice between going and not going, worshiping and not worshiping, turning away from God or turning to God, she turned to God. Now notice, as we, say in, in, as we see in verse 15, that Hannah didn't just go and pray, but she says that she was pouring out her soul before the Lord. She was completely opening herself up to God and saying, God, I give this to you. God, I give myself to you. God, if you will only look on your servant's misery and remember me, if you will just see me. She poured out her soul to the Lord. It wasn't just a shallow prayer. She didn't just say, God, please take care of this and walk off. She deeply and intensely prayed. Verse 10 says she was deeply distressed. She wept bitterly. She poured herself out to God. When was the last time you prayed like that? When was the last time you just threw your heart open to God and said, God, here it is. God, here I am. I don't know what's going on, God. I don't like this. I don't want this. And God, I'm going to tell you about it. No, it's okay. It's okay to tell God everything. First of all, He already knows it. So it's not like you're going to surprise Him with anything you say. He already knows the, the condition of your heart. He's just waiting for you to tell him about it. It's okay to tell God how much you're in pain. It's okay to tell God how much you hurt. And it's okay to tell God you're mad at him. He's big enough to accept that. He's big enough to deal with that. He understands. She poured out her soul to the Lord. Not a shallow prayer, but a really intense getting it all out there to God. 
if we look at her prayer, we see that, that she went to Shiloh, she poured out her heart to, the God, to God, and she remembered who she was talking to. Look at verse 11. Oh, Lord Almighty. She's remembering who God is, that He's not just some some little person standing off and here standing off he's not just somebody sitting somewhere in heaven he is the lord of hosts he is in charge of everything he's in charge of the armies of heaven he is in charge of all this god has power to make a difference it's like sometimes if Joy comes to me and wants me to fix something that she broke, yeah, I, sweetie, I, I don't know what to do with this. I, I don't know how to fix this. Or I can't fix this. You're just going to have to replace it. I'm sorry. There's nothing I can do. I can't make it better. There is no situation in which there's nothing God can do. There is no situation in which God cannot move to work to bring about his purpose. Hannah's recognizing this when she's saying, Oh Lord Almighty, Oh Lord of hosts. She's remembering who God is. The interesting thing is right after she says this, Oh Lord Almighty, this recognition that you are God, that you are large and in charge, that you have all power that you can make a difference the very next thing she says if you will only look upon your servant's misery and remember me and not forget your servant but give her a son if you will only look on me and remember me and don't forget me was she doubting God when she said that was she thinking that, that God wasn't looking at her? Was she thinking that God had, had forgotten her, begging him not to forget her? Was she doubting? I'm, I'm, not, I'm not sure if she was doubting his care or if she was trying to understand his inaction. Either way, she was being honest with him. God, you are the God of hosts. You can fix this if you'll just look at me. If you'll just remember me, if you just won't forget me. There's a song that, that expresses this so well. It's, it's, it's entitled Small Enough by Nicole Nordeman. I'm going to read the lyrics because they're extremely powerful and relevant to what we're talking about. Oh, great God, be small enough to hear me now. There were times when I was crying from the dark of Daniel's den and I've asked you once or twice if you would part the sea again. Tonight I do not need a fiery pillar in the sky. I just want to know that you're going to hold me if I start to cry. Oh great God, be small enough to hear me now. Oh great God, be close enough to feel me now. There have been moments when I could not face Goliath on my own. And how could I forget we marched around our share of Jericho's. But I will not be setting out the fleece for you tonight. I just want to know that everything will be alright. Oh great God, be close enough to feel me now. Oh, praise and all the honor be to the God of ancient mysteries whose every sign and wonder turn the pages of our history. But tonight my heart is heavy and I cannot keep from whispering this prayer. Are you there?
And I know you could leave writing on the wall that's just for me or send wisdom like while I'm sleeping, like in Solomon's sweet dreams. I don't need the strength of Samson or a chariot in the end. I just want to know you still know how many hairs are on my head. Oh, great God, be small enough to hear me now. There's this juxtaposition between the greatness of God and God being small enough to be close. Between the greatness of God and being close enough to feel us. And Hannah is expressing that. She's saying, you are the Lord of hosts. Look on me. Remember me. Don't forget me. She has poured her heart out to him, honestly. And then she makes this vow to God. She says, if you will do this, if you will, if you will remember me, if you will look on me, if you won't forget me, if you'll give me a son, I will give him to the Lord for all the days of my life. Or for all the days of his life, rather. I will give him to the Lord for all the days of his life. She made a vow to God. Was she trying to bribe him? I don't think so. Hannah was showing God the condition of her heart. She was showing God the motivation of her request. God, if you will just give him to me, I will give him to you for all of his days. All the days of his life. This was not a selfish prayer on her part. It was an open-hearted prayer. Indeed, it was an amazing prayer. How many of us could make that prayer, God, if you give me this child that I have been wanting for so long, I'll give him back to you. God, if you will just take care of this problem, however you fix it, God, I'll put it in your hands. God, if you will just take care of me, I will give myself totally to you. She went to Shiloh. She poured herself out. She remembered who she was talking to and she, she seemed to understand this thought of the bigness of God and yet the closeness of God at the same time. She made this vow, God, I'm opening my entire self to you. Lord, if you give me a son, I will give him back. Something else she did too. She found an ally in Eli of all places. She found an ally. While she was praying, Eli noticed that she was over there and her, her lips were moving, but her voice wasn't being heard. He thought she was drunk. Again, how clueless can men be sometimes? He thought she was drunk. And so he goes to her and he says, how long are you going to keep getting drunk? Get rid of your wine. I like the fact that, that Hannah didn't just attack him back. You know, in today's day, what would happen? Somebody in a position of leadership said something to us like that that we didn't like, what would we do? We'd run to WGHP or WFMY and we'd try to file a story about, come see what this guy did to me. Or we'd go to Facebook or Twitter or Instagram or whatever, TikTok or whatever the flavor of the week is, and we'd talk about how horrible this person was and nobody should ever have anything to do with him because he's a terrible, terrible, terrible priest. 
just nuke him to death. She didn't do that. She remembered that Eli may be a priest, but he's still a man. By the way, speaking as, first of all, as a man, and second, as a minister, remember, as a man and as a minister, we sometimes can be just as clueless as other men can be, okay? Please do not just think that we understand, even as ministers, that we understand what's going on. We may not. Please don't hesitate to tell us. Don't expect us to read your minds. It doesn't work. For me, I'm the first one to admit I am shallow. I do not read people's minds well. You need to tell me something if you want me to know it. And please don't do that. Well, if you really love me, you'd know what's wrong with me right now. No. Don't be afraid to tell us so that we can understand. That's what Hannah did. Hannah told Eli, she said, I'm not drunk. I'm a woman who is deeply troubled. I have been pouring out my soul to the Lord. Don't take me for a wicked woman. I've been praying here out of my great anguish and grief. And notice that once Hannah explained it to him, Eli responded, go in peace. And may the God of Israel grant you what you have asked of him. Now, I'm not really sure whether Eli was trying to, if he was expressing a hope, I'll pray with you, I hope that God will provide what you're asking for. Or if Eli, as the priest of the tabernacle of the Lord, if that was a word that he had received from God, may God of Israel grant you what you've asked from him. Either way, it's obvious that Eli was on her side. And for the rest of their days, once Samuel was born and she delivered Samuel to the temple, she kept going, or to the tabernacle, she kept going back. She kept talking to Eli. Eli, I believe, became a, a, a great ally to her. Eli answered to her, go in peace. Go in peace. Friends, with whatever problem that you're facing today, And if you're not facing one today, know they're coming. They do. Don't turn away from God. Go to Shiloh. Turn to God and pour yourself out to Him. Remember who He is and beg Him to be close enough to hear you. Trust that He will hear you. Open your heart to Him and allow yourself to respond, to to give yourself back to Him. Look for allies who can also help, who can pray with you, who can encourage you who can give you a word from the Lord. She accepted that. And she left. Look how Hannah resolved the problem. We'll finish the the story here. Verse 18, she said, May your servant find favor in your eyes. Then she went her way and ate something, and her face was no longer downcast. Early the next morning they arose and worshipped before the Lord, and then went back to their home in Ramah. Elkanah lay with Hannah, his wife, and the Lord remembered her. So in the course of time, Hannah conceived and gave birth to a son. She named him Samuel, saying, Because I asked the Lord for him. So what happened? How did Hannah resolve the problem? She accepted Eli's blessing. She accepted that word, go in peace. 
May the God of Israel grant you what you've asked from him. She felt better. Never, never misunderestimate the ability of simply giving it all to God can have to make things different in your life. When you finally and totally just abandon yourself to him and say, God, I don't like it. I don't want it. This is not my idea. I'm not sure what you're doing in it, but God, take it and do your will with it. Once you do that, once you find allies, once you, once you do all the things Hannah did, perhaps you'll feel better. Now notice, this, at this point, the problem is still not solved. God did not immediately strike her in the, in the tabernacle and give her Samuel right then, no. She was still not pregnant. She was still not carrying a child, but she felt better. She went her way. She ate something and her face was no longer downcast. She went, home, she went to the tabernacle the next morning and they worshiped before the Lord. Again, problem still there. She worshiped before the Lord. And sometime later on, In fact, the English Standard Version says the Lord remembered her and in due time she conceived. We don't know how long. We have to remember when we pray, it's, God will answer. It may not be that God will answer yes right that second. But God will answer. The Lord remembered her and in due time she conceived and bore a son. And it says she followed through with her promise. After Samuel was born, after Samuel was weaned, she took him to the tabernacle and she gave him to Eli to serve the Lord. And I love the fact that she named him Samuel. I've asked for him from the Lord. So that she, every time she called his name, she would remember. Every time Elkanah called his name, he would remember. And to this day, every time anyone mentions Samuel, if they know what that means, I have asked for him from the Lord, we remember. Her testimony outlived her because it's still living thousands of years later. I encourage you this morning with the problems that you face or with the problems that you will face in the future. Turn to the Lord. Open your heart. Find an ally. And once you've laid it out before the Lord, feel better. Allow yourself to trust. And let God resolve it in His time, in His way. Will you pray with me? God, this sermon this morning is a challenging one because we don't always want to act the way that Hannah acted. Lord, we want to be angry and we want to turn away and we want to try to solve problems on our own or we want to let them get the best of us. 
and we just crawl into a hole of bitterness. God, we pray. Help us to follow her example. Help us to look to you. Help us to give ourselves and our problems to you. And Lord, help us to allow you to do your work in and through us, Lord, so that glory will come to your name through us and for generations to follow as they hear of what you've done. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. We hope you enjoyed today's message. Please note our schedule has been revised as of April 2021. Please join us on Sunday mornings for worship at 10 o'clock in the sanctuary at 108 Trail 1 in Burlington or on Facebook Live. For more information and resources regarding our church, please visit groveparkchurch.net. And remember, grace abound.